this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive on Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. So the story we have this morning is placed six days before the Passover meal, which means six days before the Last Supper in the upper room, six days before Jesus' arrest, one week until he will breathe his last on the cross. Exactly one day before Jesus parades into the city of Jerusalem as the crowds cheer him on. This story is a key turning point in the gospel story. Next week, next Sunday, is Palm Sunday, the start of the week that we dare call holy, the last week of Jesus' life on earth before the cross. And I hope that you'll find some ways to connect with happenings here in the life of the church to try to make this journey to Easter meaningful for you. But what we have today in our scripture story is a dinner party with friends. And don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy a good dinner party. I hate to miss a good time, but this one, ugh, this one's not a normal dinner party. First of all, there is a formal, former dead guy sitting at the table. That's probably a first for everybody. Lazarus, who has just died, is now sitting around the dinner table with friends. Jesus loved Lazarus, Jesus loved his sisters, Mary and Martha, but he had arrived too late. Lazarus was dead when he arrived and he stood outside his friend's tomb and he wept. And he called upon God and Lazarus came out of that tomb. This act, this super big miracle act, it sealed the deal when word got to Caiaphas, the chief priest, that Jesus had raised a man from the dead. The scripture says that Caiaphas says, better for one man to die than the whole nation to be destroyed. That sounds exactly like something a politician would say. Better for us to kill one Jewish renegade rebel than to risk Rome coming down on all of us. Get him quiet. Even Peter thought it was a mistake to go south towards Lazarus. He thought Jesus should protect himself, hide, lay low, keep his mouth shut. But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to see Lazarus. And I hope you'll read along with me this morning. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Judas said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept a common purse and used to steal what was put into it. 
Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. Everyone knew. Everybody knew this was so big, word would spread so far that what Jesus had done sealed the deal. They'd be coming for him. He now had a target on his back. Everyone knows it, and no one's talking about it. Do you know what that's like? You ever been around a group of people where everyone seems to be trying to ignore the elephant in the room, to not say what everybody's really thinking? One of the great privileges of being a pastor, and there are many, is that I'm often on the receiving end of such lessons. And I remember a conversation I had many years ago with a member of my church in Tennessee. She was on up in years. And she had been in and out, in and out, in and out of the hospital all year long. And each time she was surviving, but each time she was coming out a little weaker. And she had just moved in to a skilled nursing facility, and I went by to see her. And when we talked, I talked to her about the beautiful weather we were having. I talked to her about the happenings in the life of the church. I pointed out this beautiful quilt that her family had brought and laid on her bed that she had made, and we talked about that for a while. We talked about her family. We talked about her grandkids. I had brought her chocolates. I was practically a candy-striped cheerleader in the room for her that day. And then I said, can I pray with you? And she said, yes, and I offered a prayer, and I got up to leave. And as I was just starting to walk out, she said, Kara, this last procedure, I hurt so badly that I still feel like a shell of a person now. I am so tired and I hurt and I don't know why God still has me here. And I was well aware that thanks to her, our conversation had really just begun. And I sat back down, and we talked for a little while. And this time I said, you know, I didn't ask you the first time what you really wanted me to pray for. What would you, what do you want me to pray for today? She said, I am ready to go home. And she died three days later. But how grateful I was for her to cut through all my small talk and to truly speak what was on her heart. This is a strange dinner party. Lazarus, Jesus, his disciples. Judas is there. John wants to make sure you realize Judas is there. Mary, Martha. Did anyone say what they must have all been thinking? Were they angry at Jesus that he had now put himself at risk for Lazarus? Was he worth it? Was this guy worthy? Were they talking about how scared they were when the rumors were true of what was going to happen to them, what was going to happen to Jesus? 
Or did they do what a lot of us do when we are scared or uncertain? We talk about the weather, talk about the food. Did they even notice Mary slip out of the room? I don't know. She comes back to the room, she kneels down, she breaks open this bottle of expensive perfume, fine stuff, an oil that was used to anoint someone at their death. They would have known the smell of it. I bet Lazarus even still smelled like it. She pours out this whole pound bottle of expensive oil. That is a huge amount. They couldn't run to Wally World and get more. This was a lifetime supply that they had. It was precious. So precious you'd probably use it sparingly, little by little. Save it, protect it, put it up on a high shelf so the cat doesn't knock it down. You protect it. Can you imagine? How the room must have smelled when she poured this whole bottle out on Jesus' feet. Verse 3 says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, my own grandfather lost his dad when he was a child. And for the rest of his life, he hated the smell of flowers. He absolutely hated the smell of flowers in a room because for him... It reminded him of the way his house smelled after his dad's funeral. Funny smells, they can connect us to memories we can't forget that seep into our being. Mary pours this entire bottle of perfume out. The whole house smells of it. And you know that saying, well-behaved women rarely make history? Mary's making history. She unbinds her hair. It's something unheard of that a woman would do in mixed-gendered company. She grabs hold of Jesus' feet. Uh, a woman would never touch another man, let alone a holy man, and she pours the entire bottle out and uses her hair and probably her tears to wipe his feet. The disciples are shocked. Don't miss the irony here that it's Judas who complains. He's the one who's outraged. This is crazy. What a waste, he's telling them. What a waste. The one who's going to betray Jesus is the one speaking the critique of what Mary's done. Why wasn't this perfume sold and given to the poor? What a waste this is. Kings are anointed on their head, but she doesn't anoint Jesus' head. She anoints his feet because she's preparing him for death, for his burial. Something you did for someone you loved when they died. Judas sees it as a waste. Jesus sees what Mary did as an act of God, a gift. Leave her alone, he says. The poor you will always have, but you will not always have me. The poor you will always have. Full disclosure, I roll my eyes anytime anyone ever quotes this scripture as a reason to excuse or ignore poverty or suffering. First, it's just taken totally out of context from this story. Jesus who loved the poor, Jesus who spent his time and life amongst the poor, who Jesus who himself was a homeless itinerant rabbi who shared everything in common, the Jesus who spent his ministry easing suffering of others, the same Jesus who challenged the rich and elite, the same Jesus who said, 
Whatever you do to the least of these who are members of my family, you did to me. The Jesus who said, when you throw a party, don't invite your friends or your relatives. Invite the poor, the hurting, the blind. I could keep on going for days on this one. The poor you will always have, but you won't always have me. Don't hear him as excusing poverty in the world. Hear him as saying now, just this once. Just this once, let her do this for me because my time is running out. They all knew it. Mary just had the guts to do something about it. Except she didn't use words. She used this precious, valuable perfume and she broke it and spilled it all on his feet because she just needed to do this for him, to help prepare him for his death. And it strikes me that most of us wouldn't do what Mary did, not because we just wouldn't cross our own cultural bounds of our day, but, and we wouldn't, most of us, but because when you have something special, something valuable, you hold on to it. You protect it. You preserve it. Maybe you use it little by little. How many of us have dishes in our houses that we never use because we want to protect them and not get broken? I've seen dining rooms never eaten in, living rooms never lived in because we want them to look nice, to be protected. I know somebody's grandma in here had a plastic covering on her living room couch because they're special, they're valuable. You want to protect those things. That's what we do, that's our instincts, to protect, to save, to hold on. And maybe this morning, there's a part of you that recognizes that you need to be a little more like Mary, to not pretend everything is okay when it is not, to not hold back or leave something unsaid or undone. It was a crazy act by a faithful woman. Mary grabbed that bottle and she poured the whole thing out onto his feet. And next Sunday, as we begin to tell the story day by day of what happened in Jesus' last week before the cross, we will see that Jesus lived the same way. He lived arms wide open to the world. He died arms wide open to the world. He chose to not be held back, saved or protected. He dies arms wide open to the world. And when he dies a criminal, the crowds will be gone and the extravagance of his love won't make sense to everybody. In fact, some might say, what a waste. What a waste it was for who, why? But I believe, I believe that every now and again, the memory of the way that perfume filled the room that night still fills us. And we too will remember. Because you know, you know what a crazy, lavish, excessive gift he was. Arms wide open. Arms wide open. Amen.